0: Yeah, you guys excited about what God's doing in your life? I am excited about today. I'm excited to start a new message series today. It's a big deal for us anytime we start a new message series here at Eastgate because um, we just like to focus on what we feel like God is speaking to us in a certain season, and that's what these message series are all about, what we feel like God is speaking to us to focus on over the next several weeks. And and today we're going to start a series called Church.Life. And we're going to be looking at church, and we're going to be looking at our lives. We're going to be looking at the original intent of the church. Because you realize a church isn't a building that we come to. The church is you, and the church is me. The people that fill up the building. And and so God's got a a certain plan for the church, things we're supposed to be doing, um, things we're supposed to be making happen on this earth, because we are God's plan A to advance his kingdom, And there is no plan B. It's just us. It's just us. So I believe that God is very, very, very interested in what we do with the mission that he's given us to accomplish on this earth. You guys hear that buzz? You all hear that going on? I know the media team's going to be working on that. I just, I tell you what, we like to be kind of relaxed around here. I'm all about professionalism. But I tell you what, when something's just loud and annoying, let's just... Kill the elephant in the room and say, hey, that buzz is annoying. Um, Media team, I know you guys are going to be working on it. Figure out whatever that issue is. Uh, So don't let that distract you or don't let that bother you. If it is, we'll just keep rolling with it. Is that cool? Sounds good. All right. Now, over the, the course of this series, though, we're also going to be looking at some of the people that are involved in what happens here, making Eastgate Ministries happen every week. Because, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff that we're doing in the church and a lot of cool stuff that we want to do, but none of that happens if we don't show up and make it happen. Amen? So we've got a lot of great volunteers and a lot of great people that are serving the Lord, a lot of great people with a lot of great hearts, and we're going to be looking at at some of those people over the next few weeks, because I believe you ought to give honor where honor is due. And today, I want to celebrate what an individual is doing in our church. I think it's just absolutely awesome. How many of you know who Kathy Scoggin is? Kathy Scoggin is an awesome lady, and I brought some pictures of her to show you, just in case you don't know who she is. Kathy oversees the nursery ministry of our church. And she's got a phenomenal team that works with her. She does a great job. Yeah, let's give give Kathy a hand. She does a great job. What I like about what they do in that ministry is that they don't just come in there and babysit the babies. They don't just babysit the babies. They are pouring into those little ones at a young age, laying a foundation for them to grow and mature in and their walk with God they're doing a great work back there and what I like about what about Kathy is that man I would I would trust my kids to her yeah. she's great with the kids and her team is great with our nursery age children and with our toddlers they're just great at working with them and and building into them so I just want to say Kathy thank you for what you do hey we love you and we appreciate what God is doing in and through your life can we give God praise one more time for what's happening <laughs> And that ministry back there, I love it. There's awesome people doing great things all over, this, all over this campus today. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of them. Uh, I had a crazy week this week. Anybody have a crazy week this week? I had an insane week this week. found out, um, I guess the, the end of last week, that someone real important to me and a great mentor in my life had passed away. And they decided to plan and, and make the funeral happen for this person really quick. So I hopped in the car, or I got a rental car right after service, hopped in the car early Monday morning and drove to Texas to be at the funeral for this man um, because he had had such an impact in my life. I didn't just want to watch online or make a phone call you know, and, and, and tell the family you know, that I'm sorry and I'm praying for him. He made a big impact in my life, and I wanted to go out there and honor him. So the whole first part of my week um, was spent on the road at the funeral and then then coming back. And God spoke to me pretty profoundly, though, in those few days while I was out there. And the guy that I went to honor was named Tom Wilson. And I brought a a, a picture of Tom to show you. And uh, in this picture, he looks like a a cool-looking older gentleman, but I'm telling you, this guy was a giant in the kingdom of God. This guy impacted and influenced lives and built believers and built leaders, and uh, he, he spoke into my life in a really powerful way. And he was great. He was passionate with everything that he did, and he was kind of goofy, too, which I think made him likable. He was really off rhythm. Like when he would preach, um, they, he would just go crazy. Like, if there was... Anything in the front of the stage, they eventually had to kind of clear out the front stage area where he was preaching because the dude would kick stuff off the stage, and he would like in pulpits. I don't know how many pulpits he went through, just beating on the pulpit and getting excited, knocking stuff over, breaking glasses of water so they had to stop putting glasses of water up there for him to drink. One time the guy was preaching, and he was really getting into it, and he was shaking his hands like this, and his watch just flew off of his hand and went right into the crowd just like that, you know, he's just passionate about everything that he did and it was so exci- exciting to to watch him, because he was like passionate and goofy with it at the same time and you couldn't help but like the guy, you know people like that, yeah, you just couldn't help but like the guy, one time we were doing this really big outreach in uh, and y'all don't mind if I talk about Tom for just a little bit, I'm going somewhere with this trust me. don't don't worry about it, but we were going to do this big outreach at this park in, uh, in the Dallas area out in Texas, and Tom had this big vision. He just wanted to reach everybody in the community. So we brought in Convoy of Hope and connected with some other, um, some churches and, and, and a bunch of people. And we had inflatable games out there. And, we, you know, they, and through Convoy of Hope, we were giving away groceries to anybody that showed up for this event. And so in the inner city of Dallas, we were giving away groceries and loving on people. And we we're going to um, give them Jesus through the process of doing all of that. We saw a lot of people come to the Lord, but Tom wanted to, he just, he wanted to church it up. And he said, we're going to go out there and we're going to walk around that park seven times a day for seven days leading up to this event. And we're going to believe for the walls to fall and for God to impact people's lives. You know, we're like, okay, well, that's going to be awesome. So we got out there at this park and we didn't realize how big this park was. It was huge. And if you wanted to walk around this park, it was, it was just about three-quarters of a mile to go from one thing, go around it. So we, we were out there, and we we're like, okay, here we go. We're going to do this. So Tom gets out there, and he's leading the way, and we're just praying, and we're walking. And Tom's shaking hands and talking to people that, that are in the park, getting to know him, you know. We're walking, and we're walking, lap two, lap three. And it's late that morning, and that Texas heat starts to beat down on us. You know, we're all sweating. We're like, dude, this is going to be intense if we're going to do this every day for seven days. And we finished up walking, doing the prayer walk thing that day. And, I mean, we walked several miles doing it. And we all got back to the offices, and we're like, dude, this is going to be crazy. And then the word came down later that afternoon. Tom said, you know what? Instead of going out to the park and doing it, we're just going to have prayer meetings here at the church, and we're just going to pray and believe God, and we're not going to go out there and do that crazy walking anymore. Uh, I thought it was hilarious, though, how quickly the plan changed. Um, But Tom was just great at doing that. And uh, while he was goofy and he had this certain way about him, Tom would always find a way to speak into your life. And he'd catch you in a hallway or uh, just catch you, you know, take you out to lunch or something. And, and uh, at the funeral, you just hear people come up and say again and again and again about this guy. That He would say the same thing. He would just find his way to say the same thing to almost everybody. He says, I love you. I believe God has a plan for your life. And he would say, you've got gifts, you've got talents, and you've got potentials. And I just can't wait to see what God is going to do through you. He had a way of finding somebody and seeing the potential inside of them and grabbing it and just pulling it out. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. And I was at that funeral, and uh, his son Scott was preaching, and Scott shared this story, and he's talking about how he had had a dream in his twenties. Um, and, And in this dream, he was standing up on this huge stage, this huge platform. And he was preaching to this massive crowd of people. It's thousands upon tens of thousands of people as far as he could see. And he was ministering and preaching the gospel. And God was moving in the place. And then he looked down in the middle of preaching in his dream. And he saw his dad standing underneath him. And Scott said, I was standing on his shoulders, and my dad was down in the platform. And if you looked at me from the crowd, it looked like I was standing on a platform by myself. And I was doing all this stuff on my own, and, and, and it looked like I had this great presence on the stage. But from where I was, when I looked down, I knew that I was standing on the shoulders of my father. And in my dream, he was praying in the Spirit, and just praying God's protection and God's anointing and God's power to move through me. And he was sharing that vision. And and I thought, man, that is absolutely powerful. And Scott was saying, you know, from from the crowd, it looked like I was on a platform. But the truth of it was, I was standing on my father's shoulders. Because my father had given me all of his wisdom, all of his knowledge, all, all that he had. He had poured into me so that I could stand on his shoulders... And so that his ceiling could become my floor so that I could go further in life and in ministry than he had been able to go in his. And when he was saying that, it was like the Spirit of God just hit me with a baseball bat. And I was like, that right there, that is the heart of discipleship. That's the heart of discipleship right there. Is that I give you and we give each other the knowledge and the experience. And, and, and we give you everything that God has taught us through our lives so that you can stand on our shoulders and I can stand on your shoulders and we can stand on each other's shoulders so that we become, we become platforms for each other to go further and do more and do greater things for the kingdom of God in this earth. Oh, that right there, that, that, if the church gets that, the church has got something powerful. And I think maybe that's why discipleship was so important to Jesus, because he knew how powerful it was when it was done right. In Matthew 28, Jesus is talking to the disciples and the crowd of people that was there with him. And I want to look at this and look at some other stuff today. God's just speaking to me real powerfully concerning this stuff. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, we're going to come back to that in a second, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age." I wish I could have been there to hear this conversation take place. Jesus gets the disciples together and he says, Listen, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's like, Guys, we did it. We did it. I walked this earth. I did what my Father commanded me to do. I gave my life to pay the price for all sin so that mankind could be set free from the bondage of sin. And not only that, I came back with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. I came back with all authority. On the earth and in heaven, it has been given to me. That is awesome. I wish I could have been there to hear Jesus begin to lay this out. He says, listen, now that that's happened, it's time for us to go and impact this world. It's time for you to go and make disciples. And take what I poured into you and what I've taught you to take that and to go forth. But there's a word there before he tells them to go and make disciples that we talk about from time to time here at the church. And it's therefore. Which is the qualifying word in scripture. That means that whatever happens next. Is qualified by what happens before it. So that therefore go and make disciples. Is qualified by. I have been given. All authority in heaven. And in earth. That authority. Is a hinge point for what we're able to do. On this earth for the kingdom of God. And that word authority. Has a couple of a few different meanings depending on where you find it in Scripture in the Greek, and I want to look at a couple of those this morning. One of them is dunamis. Dunamis is one of them, and that just simply means power, power to operate in authority, and that you're equipped, you have the strength to do it. If you're bench pressing. 300 pounds, you are releasing the power necessary to get that weight up. That's dunamis. That's that power to do. It's that power to be able to accomplish something. But when Jesus is talking here, he is talking about an authority called exousia. Now, that's a fancy word. Everybody say exousia. All right. That sounds complicated, but it really has a simple meaning. And it's just, it just means authority or authorization of power. A clearer definition is authority to execute the distribution of power. Jesus says, guys, listen. I'm no longer just equipped with power, but now I have power to execute the distribution of authority and power, which means that now I can give you everything that you need to accomplish everything that I've called you to do. And because I can write the check now and give you all the amount that you need to do what I've called you to do, now go and make disciples because I am lifting those lids off of your ability to go forth with what I've called you to do. Go forth and make disciples. That's powerful. That is powerful to me. And we get hung up sometimes on that word, disciple. What it means to make a disciple. In our culture, when we think discipleship, a lot of times we go just straight to a classroom setting, where somebody's kind of teaching uh, a Bible truth or teaching a Bible principle. You know, discipleship. Well, here's what here's what. It, What it means to read your Bible. And this is how you read your Bible. And this is what the Word of God says about giving and how we should give. And this is what the Word of God says about worship and how we should live our lives. And and in a classroom setting, we go over those teachings. and, And in a lot of circles, that's discipleship. But that's not what discipleship means. And that's not what Jesus was talking about then. Discipleship in that culture had a completely different meaning. If you were a rabbi or a teacher and you had disciples like Jesus had his disciples... And John the Baptist, you remember reading in Scripture, he had disciples that followed him. Well, it wasn't uncommon to have powerful teachers or rabbis to have men that would follow them as disciples in a discipleship process. Discipleship wasn't a classroom setting. If you were a disciple, you were somebody that walked with your teacher or that person who was investing in you, and you just did life with them. That was it. And through the events of life and the challenges of life, The teacher was able to give experience and give knowledge and give wisdom as the opportunities presented themselves to equip you to get to the place where you could turn around and make disciples yourself. It wasn't a following thing. It was a walk with me kind of thing. And one of the things that I, I really appreciate about Jesus is that he wasn't the kind of leader who would tell you to do something and then sit back and watch you do it. He was a guy that was going to do it first, set the example, pave the way, and then say, now you do as I've done. And if you look at Jesus' life, that's what he did his whole life. When he called the disciples, he said, hey, you, follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers. And hey, follow me, follow me. When he called the disciples, follow me, follow me. And he's still saying that to us today. Follow me. And when he says, follow me, it's not like he's saying, hey, I am going to go blaze a trail and you guys come follow behind me. We're not playing follow the leader with Jesus. When he said, follow me, the interpretation of that word, follow, means walk with me. Come alongside me. Let's do life together. I'll walk right with you. Jesus says he'll never fail us or forsake us. He'll never leave us. He'll be right by our side. He's still in that process today walking with us through the challenges of life. So discipleship isn't, and I think a lot of times we feel pressurized because we're like, well, I don't know enough. I I can't teach somebody how to do this. I barely get it to work in my life, right? Now, discipleship isn't so much about a teaching process as much as it is doing life together with someone and letting life experience through our relationship with God impact somebody else. Now, that's pretty easy to do. Because I might not be able to break down deep theological concepts, but I can talk to you about how God walked me through a situation in my life if you're going through the same problem. You know what I mean? If you're having a hard time trusting God with finances, I can talk to you about when I went through that problem and I had had to go through that process and where I landed and how God, God got me to that point. I can share with you out of my personal experience. And that's the heart of discipleship, that we walk with each other and we lend our shoulders to one another in times of need to give our perspective, to give our experience, and to share what God's doing in our hearts and in our lives so that our shoulders can be a platform for somebody to stand on so that our ceiling can become, can become their floor. That's what it's all about. So that they don't have to go through all the process that we had to go through. So they don't have to fight all the battle that we had to fight. Our experience and our knowledge can equip them to not have to spend the time processing through what we had to spend the time processing through. We can give them the solution to the problem, and they're able to go further, faster, and greater with their walk with God. That is the heart of discipleship. That's what God has called all of us to do. And I think that's so powerful when it's done right. And so here's a big question, and here's, here's the big thing for us to think about today is this. is that every follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, has an opportunity to let their ceiling become a floor to someone else. Here's a big question. The question is, will your ceiling become a floor or a lid for someone? Because every day we live our lives, we're making that decision. Whether what God is doing in our life is is going to become a floor for someone to go further, faster, and greater on. Or if it's going to become a cap for their lives because we don't share and we leave them hanging And just stop and and, and ask yourself this question is my life right now is my life is my life lived in such a way so that my ceiling can become someone else's floor or is my life lived in such a way that I am putting lids on people's lives because I am not there to share the experience that I have to help them go further in their walk with God than I could ever go. Let's stop and let's pray for a second. Father, God, I just pray that you speak to us today. Uh, today wouldn't be just another day today, Lord. Today would be a day that, that you called us to look at our lives sincerely and genuinely. And we ask ourselves, are, are, we, are we in a discipleship process with other people? Are we walking with others and doing life with others? Are we living our lives in such a way that our ceiling becomes a floor for someone to go further in their walk with God and in their ministry? Lord, I pray that you speak to us today. Lord, that you say what needs to be said to our hearts. Lord, that you give me the ability to communicate such a simple message in such a way that it impacts the lives of the people that are here. Lord, I pray that none of us walk out of here today the same way that we walked in. Because you've got a plan for all of us. And you've got a plan for this church. And it's not to take what you've done in our lives with us. We're supposed to make disciples, to invest in others, to lead people to you. And to do what we can to see them go further and do greater things than we could ever do, Father. So your kingdom is always advancing. Lord, speak to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And there's a lot, there's a lot of lids in life. And they come from different places. You know, there's, there's lids that, that people can try to put on you in life. And probably all of us in here have experienced that one way or another. People form opinions about you really quickly. And isn't it funny how people's opinions about you changes from season to season? And this is what I've learned, man. Because people's opinions about you are always going to change, don't give a flying rip about people's opinions of you. You focus on God's opinion of you. Amen? But people try to put you in a box. And people will say, well, you're not smart enough to do what you're trying to do or you don't have the resources to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish or what God is laying on your heart to do. Maybe, maybe you've got uh, something inside of you to start a business, and you're know, so excited about this dream to start this business, but when you share it with people, they look at you and you say, that's impossible. You don't know the first thing about business. You don't know. And they'll begin to shoot you down and put lids on your life. You know, they'll say, well, how in the world can God really use somebody who's been divorced two or three times? Are they too damaged? Are they too messed up? You know, people will tell you that you failed too much in life to be able to do anything for the kingdom of God. Don't let people put lids on your life. I'm here to tell you that you can do what God says that you can do, and if the call of God is there, then it's God's responsibility to make that calling come to fruition. Your job is to be obedient regardless of what people say. Don't be like Moses who let a bunch of knuckleheads talk him out of going into the promised land. Don't let people put lids on what God can do in and through your life amen oh y'all should be clapping a little bit better on that one right there that you don't let people put lids don't let people put lids but people will try to put lids on your life and we experience that I've experienced that and they're not just people that we know but there are lids that society tries to put in place to cap us and divide us and keep us from doing what God has called us to do or reaching our potential one of the biggest one of the biggest lids that is existing in society today It's the lid of racism. It's racism. And I'm here to tell you right now. It's not just prevalent, and it's not just making headlines in the news today. It's not just a hot political topic right now today out there, but it is in the church. I'm just telling you right now, listen. If you're here today, and you have got prejudice in your heart towards somebody because of the color of their skin or from their background, their ethnicity, I'm here to tell you, you do not have the heart of God. Racism and prejudice cannot exist in the heart of somebody who is trying to follow God. Can't. You can't. Jesus died for all people. All colors, all races, once and for all. He died for all of them. So don't tell me that you've got a heart for God but you hate somebody because of the color of their skin. Something's jacked up inside of you and you need to get it right. But that's a lid that society's trying to put on you. And this is the crazy thing a, a child, a small child, they don't see color like that. There's not a racist bone in a small child. You know why? Because they haven't been taught that yet. Racism is taught either in the home. Or in a circle of influence in that child's life, they learn it from other people. And it's amazing what we do with our lives. We'll either put lids on somebody or we'll set them up for success. Racism is a divisive tool in society, and racism causes division in the church. Don't let that lid sit in your life. Amen? So people put lids, society tries to put lids, and then you see lids that are sometimes tried to put on us in churches. Lids that you find in churches. Um, and if we're not careful, some of the things that we do in our philosophy and, and our worldview comes into play. Our opinions and our preferences. And it can put a lid on somebody's spiritual growth if we're not careful. Here's some lids that, that I see happening in the world today. Just, just me, just in church. And I'm not saying our church. I'm saying in the big C Church church. Globally, church in America, you see this happening. Um, This is a real big one. Behavior modification versus life transformation. That is a huge lid that is in existence in a lot of churches today. And when somebody gives their life to the Lord, that the people in that church focus on taking that person and getting them to behave in a certain way instead of causing them to focus on the Jesus that just saved them so that he can transform them from the inside out. So that's called legalism. That's the same religious spirit that Jesus was combating all his life while he walked there. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't live holy lives. We should do our best to live a holy life that's pleasing to the Lord. That's what Scripture says. But there's a difference between me having a desire to live holy and somebody else trying to to execute their preference of what a Christian should look like at any stage in their growth and development on my life. And there have been a lot of people that have become frustrated and walked away from church. You know, there's 5.8 million people that are unchurched in the state of Georgia. And most of them have been in church before and they don't go to church now because they went to church before and they encountered people who put a, a, a focus on behavior modification instead of encouraging people to let God transform them lives that happened to me early on in, in, in my walk with God I, I got saved and, and I was so excited and then Boom, 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 boom. People were saying, well, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Well, you need to do this, and if you don't do that, then that means that you're not this and you're not that. And, and that's just not how Jesus set this whole thing up. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? It's not how Jesus said. And, and it's not like it's a new problem either, because they had this problem in the early church. This is like a recurring thing. I guess that that religious spirit is always going to try to find its way into the circle where God's trying to do something new. Because the Jews uh, were coming to know Jesus in the early church. But at the same time, a group of people called the Gentiles were coming to know Jesus in the early church. The Jews, the Jewish people, had always been God's favorite people. And the Gentiles were everybody else that was not a Jew. Isn't that crazy? If you're here today and you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Today. You get that, right? Now, I am a Gentile. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. Um, and so they, they begin to have this friction, though, because they had all, the Jews had always been God's chosen people, and now they're coming into this place where they got to have faith in Jesus, and Jesus is working in their hearts. But now these, this Gentile group that hasn't had anything to do with God, they're being told can come in and have a relationship with Jesus and be at the same level spiritually that the Jewish people were in standing with God. And they didn't have to keep a ritual or do anything to earn it because God has given it to them all through grace. And the Jews immediately began to box in the Gentiles and say, Listen, if you're going to do this, that's awesome, but you're going to have to keep our our festivals. You're going to have to keep our rituals. You're not going to be able to eat meat that's prepared this way. You're only going to be able to do this. You're only going to be able to do that. And Paul had to step in and say, Guys, it's not about that. At all. Stop trying to put them in a box. Let God work in their heart and transform them from the inside out. You can read through the New Testament, and you can see that problem. Paul had to address it behavior modification or life transformation. You let God do a work inside of you and change you from the inside out. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's why I don't have to look at you and I don't have to say, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian then you shouldn't go to R-rated movies, and you shouldn't go to movies that are full of nudity and gross violence and graphic sex. I, shouldn't, I, I don't have to look at you and do that. I can encourage you to be careful what you put in your life and in your spirit. I don't have to make you not go to those movies, though, if you are in love with Jesus. Because if you're in love with Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside of you it's going to be that voice, and His nudging on your heart is going to bring about the change. Not me trying to wedge you into a process of thought and belief. Does that, does that make sense? And what we've messed up in church is that we've tried to push people into a Christian corner that God never intended them to be in. Because He intends to transform us from the inside out. Now, I'm not knocking wisdom, and I'm not knocking spiritual common sense, but there's a difference between, hey... Let me encourage you to get closer to God and, hey, let me force you to fit into this box of my preference on what a Christian is supposed to or what a Christian is not supposed to look like. And I think as a church, Big C Church, we've gotten that pretty wrong over the years, but it's always been a thing. That's why it's big for me at Eastgate Church. Here, we focus on life transformation from the inside out. I trust the Holy Spirit to do a better job in your life than my opinions or preferences ever could. And I think that's a good ground to land on. What do you think? I think it's a good ground to land on. Here's another lid. Uh, Preference versus productivity. That's a huge lid that you see in church where we begin to let our personal preference interfere with our productivity for the kingdom of God. A church left to itself is always going to become inwardly focused. I don't know why. Because people that are supposed to be getting closer to God should have the heart of God. But for some reason, as a church group, they all want to focus inwardly when left unchecked and left on their own. And so we got to be careful on that because ministries begin to serve the people in the church instead of being used to reach people outside the church. Jesus called us to go and make disciples, right? You can't go if you're inwardly focused. So preference and productivity versus productivity is huge. It's huge. It affects worship styles. It affects ministry that happens. It affects focuses in ministry. You know, we are supposed to be making a difference for the kingdom of God, not building a glorified social club for us to be comfortable in. And if we don't, we're not careful, that can become a lid because if we're focused on ourselves, then we aren't focused on the spiritual development of other people. And here's another big one. is ageism. Ageism versus generational ministry. You see this in a lot of churches today, ageism versus generational ministry. A division in the generations in the church. And that is not the heart of God. You see younger people looking at older people like they're they're not relevant and they don't have anything to give. And then you see an older generation looking at a younger generation going, What in God's name are they thinking Let me just tell you something today. Listen, if you're a little more mature and a little more experienced in life here today, listen, let me encourage you. You have a place in this church. You have a place in the kingdom of God. And you have got experience and talent and wisdom that is desperately needed today. If you're breathing, then there's a call of God on your life, and there's something for you to do to invest in other people, and there's something for you to do to make an impact for eternity on this earth. Amen? Don't you let the enemy lie to you and tell you the best days of your life are done and over with. I believe the best days of your life are yet to come because we don't serve a God that lives in the past. We serve a God that is able to make all things new and do exceedingly abundantly above all we can hope ask or imagine. Amen? Don't buy into that lie. But listen, don't look down on this younger generation either. We need you. You've experienced things that we haven't. You've gone through battles that we haven't faced yet. And in a lot of circles, you know things through life experience that a younger generation hasn't figured out that they don't know yet. Think about that for a second. They don't know what they don't know. Because they haven't lived enough yet. They need shoulders to stand on. They need shoulders to stand on. So that your wisdom and your experience, the ceiling of your life so far, can become the floor that they stand on and move forward for the kingdom of God. They don't need you looking down on them because they're having a hard time getting stuff together. I've never seen a younger generation, at least in my life, which really hadn't been that long, I guess, if you think about it. But in recent history, I don't think I've ever seen a generation so discounted and so discredited as this millennial generation that's coming up. I don't know that I've ever seen an older generation mock and malign a group of people like I have seen. The generations, not, not so much in this church, but in church circles, look down on this generation that's coming up. Because they got different values. But if you think about it, almost every older generation has done that. All them punk kids going out, hanging out at the soda shop when they're supposed to be out in the field plowing stuff with us, a bunch of lazy slackers. Then you go forward, and it's not the soda shop anymore. All those kids listening to that rock and roll music with that long hair, wearing them spandex pants, with the bandanas on their head, what in God's name are they doing? Looking like a bunch of females running around there playing guitars. You know, it's just one generation trying to figure out another generation. Now we have a generation of millennials today. that the older generation is trying to figure out again. But the criticism is a little more harsh today. I want you to think about this for a second if you're not a millennial. I want you to think about this for a second. They get made fun of all the time for being the generation of participation trophies. A generation where everybody's a winner. Let me ask you a question. Do you think they ask for participation trophies? Do you think five and six-year-old kids going out to the t-ball field wanted to be told everybody's a winner today? No. It was a lid that was put on them by an older generation. You realize the stuff that we're complaining about them not being able to handle in life right now is the very stuff that we have set them up for failure in as a society. Well, they don't know how to handle failure because everybody in participation. We gave it to them. Maybe not we in this room, but we as a society. Well, they're always glued to their phone. They're always glued to a screen. I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. Do you think they asked to be sat in front of a TV and babysitted by a screen by mom and dad who was too tired to give them time and attention? Do you think they asked for DVD players to be put in the back of vehicles vehicle so that mom and dad didn't have to interact with them while they were going down the road? Do you think they asked to be sat in front? Of no, we did it as a society And now we're turning around as an older generation, maligning and making fun of a younger generation that we put lids on. And it's pathetic. It's pathetic. This millennial generation, I'm here to tell you, is one of the most gifted and talented and creative generations that this world has ever seen. And they are being used in circles. Even right now, you're seeing God set them on fire with passion. And they're reaching a generation like never before in circles. And I want to see that happen in this church where we have a generation raising up, that's going further and doing greater things than we ever could in our generation and in our life. But it happens because we pour into them. Millennials leave by droves in a lot of church circles. And people say, well, they just don't have a heart for God. And maybe that's part of it, or maybe they're tired of being made fun of. It's hard to reach somebody for Jesus when you're mocking them. Isn't it? Keep that in mind, This election cycle. Food for thought. So those are big lids that you see happening. Not just from people, but from society. And you see happening in church circles. I want this church to be a church of multi-generation ministry where we build generations that go out and transform communities for the glory of God. Now, how many of you think that would be awesome? That would be awesome. That's why we're putting such a big focus on next-generation ministry in this church, because we want this next generation to go further and do greater things than we ever could. Jesus took all those lids, though, off of our lives. He took all those lids off of our lives. And I want to read this to you, and I want to say this is just powerful to me. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26, going through verse 29. Paul's writing, and he's breaking down what Jesus has done in our lives. And this is just a powerful block of Scripture. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave or free. There's neither male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Now let's go back, and let's pick this apart, and let's look at what's being said here. Let's go back to verse 26. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. That is so powerful. He's saying, listen. You guys are now sons because your identity is now found in Jesus. His sacrifice forgave you for the sins in your life, and now you are literally clothed in his identity. That's a reference back. That's a reference back to, to a covenant ritual where the, the people, when they were making covenant with one another, they would literally exchange robes or garments and they would say, I am taking on your identity, and I want you to take on my identity. When people look at me, they'll see you. And when people look at you, they'll see me. This is what Paul's talking about. We have literally taken on, through his blood and through the work that he did on the cross, our identity is now found in Christ Jesus. That's a huge lid. The lid of sin is off of our lives. Now look at how this breaks down. This is just amazing. For there is no Jew or Greek. No Jew or Greek. See, that's the issue of race. That was a big deal back then. There's no Jew, there's no Greek. Some translations say Jew or Gentile. Paul just begins to attack it. In Christ, all that's done away with. It doesn't matter what color you're from. It doesn't matter what, what ethnicity you are. In Christ, In Christ, none of that matters. We're all one in him. And then he says, there's neither slave or free. Well, that's a, that's a lit of economic status. If you were a slave, you had absolutely nothing. If you were a free man, though... You had the ability to earn all the wealth that you wanted to. He was addressing economic status. It doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. It doesn't matter whether you've got a million dollars in the bank or you got $20 in the bank and a $30 bill that's due. How many of you are glad that God can use you even when you're broke? Amen. So it doesn't matter what you have or what you don't have. Economic status doesn't matter because in Christ... We are all the same. In Christ, we all have access to the same anointing, the same power, the same ability, the same Jesus clothed in him. It doesn't matter. All those lids don't matter because Jesus took them all off of us. Economic status doesn't matter. And there's no male or female. This one's huge because it deals with gender limits, that people try to, put. let me tell you something. If you're a woman in this church, you are capable of doing everything that a man can do in the kingdom of God. Because in Christ Jesus, there is no male or female. It's a travesty that churches don't let women preach in them, it's a travesty that churches don't let women lead in them. They don't understand the Bible. Jesus took all that away, He took all that away. It doesn't matter. We're all one in him. And this is big, too, because it deals with societal status, too. Because, unfortunately, back in those days, a woman wasn't really seen as an active citizen. In fact, if a woman wanted to have some kind of social status, she had to get married. And I'm I'm, I'm not saying that's right. I think it's kind of jacked up. But back then, that's just how it worked. So if you're a man, you had the prestige and you had the honor and you had the status. If you're a woman, you couldn't have any of that Until you married the right guy. And then you would be seen as the person who was married to that guy who had the status. Paul said none of that matters anymore. Status doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. Whether you're respected or not. None of that matters. It doesn't matter if you think you're important or not. In Christ, all of that's wiped away. That lid is removed. And we are all one level at the foot of the cross. He takes off another lid. This is exciting stuff when you start breaking this down, isn't it? This is amazing. None of that stuff matters. And then he says, For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Heirs. We are all heirs of the inheritance that come to us from God. Heirs. Not Lance heirs, not Shelly heirs, but heirs, heirs in Christ Jesus. It's a different spelling. I love that. And then I was reading this and I was like, well, that's just awesome stuff. Most of us understand that. I was kind of confused though. Because at the beginning of verse 26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. But then later on, when you read down, it says that there's no male or female. And it confused me when I was reading through this. I'm like, well, how can he call us sons if he says that there's no male or female in Christ? I mean, is that confusing to you too? How can, how can you identify gender but then say gender doesn't matter? What in the world are you doing here? Paul's a little bit smarter than we give him credit for. Because he wasn't dealing with the issue of gender when he called us all sons. He was dealing with the issue of legal Status. We are all sons. Because in that day, only a son could receive the legal right of authority and inheritance that was passed on from the father. Unfortunately, the daughter couldn't. Paul, he he knocks all that down and he says, listen, listen. No male or female. We are all. We are all legally able to say that we are are authorized and equipped with everything that our Father has. And if Daddy can write the check for it, I can have it. If Dad says I can do it, then I'm authorized to do it. There is nothing holding us back because we are all legally set up in position and authority to operate under our Dad. Isn't that awesome? He took every lid off of every one of us. And then he turned around and he said, listen, I want you to make disciples and do the same thing for each other. This is amazing to me. In John 14, we're getting ready to close. John 14, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, "Verily, Very truly, I I, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus never asked us to do anything that he didn't do himself. This is powerful to me because Jesus said, listen, I died on the cross. I paid for your sins. I removed every lid that's in your life. I've set you up. I've given you my shoulders so that my ceiling on this earth could be your floor to go. And he said we would do greater things because he's laid the foundation. He's paid the way. He's paid the price. And he's equipped us with everything that we need so that we wouldn't have to face the battles that he faced when he was on this earth we fight with victory authorized in power and authority in the name of Jesus through Christ we can do all things all things in him that's discipleship that's discipleship that you would go and that you would do greater things than me That's the dream of Jesus. And that's the heart of discipleship that he wants us to have. That I give you my shoulders. So that you can go further than I ever could. I was in that service Tuesday. Scott God was just kind of sharing that dream that he had and how his father had done that for him in his life. God spoke to me and said, that's the heart of discipleship. That is the model of discipleship. Right there. And he spoke to me and he said, that is what I've called you to do. Not just to preach, not just to lead a church, not just to do the things that you're doing, but I have called you specifically, Josh, to give your shoulders to those who are called by God, to give your shoulders to those who need it so that your ceiling can become their floor so that they can go further and do greater things. And I thought, that right there, that is what I want to give my life to. That's what I want to give my life for, to see the kingdom of God going further. I don't care if I'm ever in the spotlight, but I always want to have a shoulder ready for someone who needs an extra step to get further in what God has called them to do. And this is what God is calling us to do as a church to give our shoulders to each other, to give our shoulders to society, to give our shoulders to a generation that desperately needs Jesus, to give our shoulders to people in need, to give our shoulders to the poor, to give the shoulders to people that are going through hell in their lives, so that we can say, our ceiling can be your floor. God's got great potential in you. God's got promise in you. You've got gifts. You've got talents. And He's going to do great things with your life so that the kingdom of God can always be moving forward in a greater way I want to see the lids removed ceilings become floors so that we can see greater things done one of the coolest verses in scripture about one person passing something on to another is when Elijah was called up in that chariot of fire and he threw his mantle out to Elisha and he passed on he passed on the Bible calls a double portion of what he had. He passed that on to Elisha so that he could go further and do more. And later, Elisha lives his life and he does his ministry and he does all these awesome things, and he dies. The body's put in the grave. Later, the Bible says that raiders came, and one of them died. And they threw the body of the dead man into the grave where Elisha's bones were. And as soon as he hit Elisha's bones, he instantly was revived and came back to life. And that sounds like awesome preaching because he was so anointed that even in his death, his bones could still raise someone back to life. But to me, that's one of the saddest verses in Scripture because that means that Elijah took that anointing to the grave with him and he didn't pass it on to somebody else. And I don't want you to be at work, I don't want you to be that person. Because God has called each and every one of us to pass on what we have to each other and to others. So that we can go further and do greater things. I'll say it one more time. So that our shoulders can lift someone up so that our ceiling becomes their floor. That's the heart of discipleship. Not knowledge that you can drop on somebody, but a heart to see them set up for success success in everything that God's called them to do. Bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. God, I thank you for what you're speaking to us as a church today, Lord, that you haven't called us to keep what we've got. you called us to pass it on. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to to ask yourself a couple of questions right now. The first one is this. Everybody in here, heads bowed, eyes closed. Honest question. Ask yourself, are there lids in my life? that are keeping me, one, from getting closer to God, and two, from making disciples. Are there lids in my life? Are there hindrances? Is there sin? Is there stuff holding me back? Because Jesus has removed every lid that the world and society and the enemy has tried to put on our lives. He wants us to walk in freedom. Are there lids in your life That need to be removed today. And if there are, what is it? What is that lid? What is that lid? The second question is this: Is there someone in your life right now that needs your shoulder? Is there someone that needs your shoulder? Is it your son? Is it your daughter? Is it your spouse? Is it someone at work? Is it somebody that's serving in ministry underneath you? Is there someone that needs your shoulder to be lifted up? If there is, who is that person? Because I believe we've all got people in our lives that need us. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have commanded us to do it. Is there a lid? And does someone need my shoulder? Father, I just ask that you speak to us right now. Lord, that this be a very real and a very powerful moment in our lives. This not just be another Sunday. Lord, that today be a Sunday of change where you begin a new work, a new calling. That you ignite a new fire in us, Father. Lord, that you remove the lids from our lives, Lord. That we step into freedom and that we see the need all around us of people that desperately need shoulders. I give you praise for what you're doing in this place. Everyone who will, let's stand to our feet this morning.